morning. This is the time in our service where we get to worship Jesus with our tithes and offerings. So if you've brought a gift that you'd like to share, if you'd go ahead and get that out now. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the opportunity we have to recognize Jesus as the source of everything we have, everything we make and, uh, and give to him. So um, ushers, would you go ahead and come forward to receive our tithes and offerings? If this is your first time here, welcome. But there is zero pressure for you to give. We're just glad that you are here. Matt and Liana, thank you for sharing our Advent uh, passage with us. I love that these two were actually up here. Um, I've just gotten to know these two uh, over the past few months. They are signed up to go through Rooted in January, and so registration for Rooted is still open, uh, if, if you're wondering. But we had an experience, the three of us, together a couple weeks ago as they were registering for Rooted. We were out at the tables in the lobby getting them all uh, all set up, and we were kind of processing uh, how the, the fee payment was going to go, because there is a small fee to Rooted. And these two have five boys. In fact, they just had twin boys in July, and so it was a process. And this gal walks up out of the blue, and she says, I'll pay for them. And I said, oh, you must be Liana's mom. And she said, no, I don't know them, but I'm supposed to pay for them. And she slaps down the cash, and she walks away. And the three of us sat there and looked at each other, and we went, did that just happen? <laughs> it was the coolest expression of generosity. And, uh, and what a cool gift. So uh, the gift giver, you know who you are. Thank you for uh, blessing these two. I'm excited to see what God does uh, through you guys as you head into Rooted. Well, I love also the passage that they shared because it's all about gifts. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we do, I have a question for you. Ready? No. <laughs> who taught you how to worship? That's a thinker, isn't it? Who taught you who to worship and how to worship? And that's a bit of a thinker, isn't it? Because the answer to that question actually kind of hinges on what our understanding of worship is. Because we all walk in those doors with different approaches and different perceptions of what worship is. And I was no different. Uh, I did not grow up uh, a believing Christian. I grew up as a priester, Christmas Eve, Easter Sunday churchgoer. Yes, that is my own little moniker. Uh, so worship was a foreign term to me. It wasn't used in the very traditional church that my family attended. But in my early years of marriage, my husband and I were invited to a Foursquare church. And I rem remember the gal who was inviting us. Uh, she made sure that we were there early. She said, the worship part is right at the beginning, and it's my favorite part, so don't be late. And her passion was one of my first lessons in worship. So we showed up at her church on Sunday, and we walked in the door. And it was a church much like this, and there was a band on stage. A band. No organ. There were drums and guitars and like an electric guitar and a bass, and it was really weird to me. And then they started singing, and people were singing loudly with the music, some on key, some really off key. <laughs> but, but there was something wrong with the songs because they kept repeating the chorus over and over and over, and I was right already. I was fascinated watching the people, and I remember vacillating back and forth. I, I couldn't decide whether they were either really whacked or really, really holy. Because some of them were swaying to the songs, and, and they were closing their eyes. And, and in my head, I thought, oh, they must get extra God points in heaven for closing their eyes. <laughs> and then there were some who were raising their hands to the music as they sang. And I was like, those are triple pointers right there, triple heaven points. Well, my understanding or my perception of worship began there. And unfortunately, it got stuck there for a long time because I understood that worship was just the singing part at the beginning of a Sunday service. Can anybody relate? Did you start there? Worship is so much more. Because singing is just one of the ways that we worship God. 
Worship is simply an outward expression of an internal heart attitude. See, we worship God first in our hearts and then through our words, through our posture, through our singing, through our gifts. This morning we're going to continue in our Advent series, The Heart of Christmas. And we're going to take a look at the wise men, the greatest gift givers, right? The journey that they said yes to, what they gained along the way, and more importantly, the gifts that they gave. So Matthew 2, 1 through 2, we're going to dial back to some of the verses that Matt and Liana read. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So a couple note about our notes about our travelers here. We've all referred to them as the Magi or the wise men or the three kings, but most scholars would agree that these gentlemen were actually not kings, more likely the personal advisors to kings. Scripture tells us that they were from the east. So here's Jerusalem. They were from the east, which is probably Babylon or Persia, and Persia is actually present-day Iran. And as for how they knew about Jesus, well, they were scholars. They were phenomenally intelligent men, so they were schooled in astrology. The star got their attention. But they were also schooled in many, many religions, including Hebrew scripture. So they would have known of the prophecy of a king to be born in Bethlehem. Basically, these guys were super uber smart, and they started to see all these signs. And so they got out their whiteboards, and they compiled all of their data, and they decided that they needed a road trip. So picture Big Bang Theory goes to Jerusalem. <laughs> Howard Wallowitz on a camel in skinny jeans. There's a picture for you. <clears throat> well, Persia to Jerusalem is about a thousand mile journey through some really intense territory following a star. Not Google Maps, a star. To find a king that they had read about in scriptures from a religion that they were most likely not a part of. It was very, very unlikely that the wise men were Jewish and they were definitely not Christians. Yet they embarked on this incredibly costly, lengthy journey. And for what reason? Well, we read it just a minute ago. They said, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Their little road trip had one purpose, to worship the Christ child. Now, if we think about the meaning of the word, worship is simply giving reverent honor to someone or something that we hold as sacred. So it would make sense that they held Jesus as sacred. But what got them to that point? What convinced them that Jesus was worthy of their worship? Well, if I think about what convinces us to take a great journey, what convinces us to put something at the center of our focus, in our Western way of thinking, most of the time we are convinced only if there's personal gain in it for us. There's something in it that draws us forward, something in it for us, maybe a discovery to be made, and we're going to be the ones to make it. Maybe we get some kind of financial kickback from this journey, or attention, or power, or success, approval, purpose. There's something underlying, an underlying, I get something. Well, when I looked at this passage through those eyes, I saw that Jesus, or that God actually gave the wise men some pretty clear gifts on their journey. And I think these, these gifts are transferable to us when we make focusing Jesus a focus of ours. Worshiping Jesus a focus of ours. Okay, let me get my words straight. The first gift that God gave the wise men was the gift of direction. Think about this. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come for me a ruler who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, the scriptures told them where to find Jesus. It gave them very specific directions in Bethlehem. Have you ever wondered where to find Jesus? He's in here. He's in the Bible. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's one of my favorite verses. See, Jesus is the Word of life, and if you are on a journey to know him, you will find him when you read your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have free ones for you out at the information table. If you have your own and you have plenty around your house, can I just ask you to give one away this Christmas season? It's an incredible gift because in here you will find story after story of Jesus' love, of his sacrifice, and his purpose for us. If you're wondering what to do in any situation in your life, read your Bible. What do I do with my broken marriage? It's in here. I've got these gifts and I've got these abilities. What career path do I choose? It's in here. This will guide you. How do I find peace from my past? What do I do when people tick me off? Guarantee, it's in here. The Word of God is living and active, and it's able to provide us direction for any and every journey that we embark on, and it guided the wise men. So what about that star? Well, most astrologers would agree that the appearance of the star in the east can be scientifically explained. There was an aligning of planets and stars, and I'm not an astrologist, thank goodness. <laughs> but there is zero explanation for Matthew 2, verse 9 other than God's direction. It says, the star in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Think about the physicality of that. A star stopped over the place where Jesus had been born. See, God, the God we serve, is the creator of the universe with all wonders and signs and, yes, stars at his disposal to guide us. So we see that through a scripture and a star, God gave them direction. God also gave them great discernment. Take a look at Matthew 2, verse 7 and 12. I'm actually going to read this out of this little guide. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. And then as we fast forward to verse 12, it says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Discernment is simply a $1,000 word. It's a big word that means having sound judgment, getting the bigger picture, knowing what aligns with the heart of God and what doesn't. And if we were to simplify that, it would just mean knowing the truth and knowing what's a lie. The wise men had probably never met King Herod before, and yet they knew that they knew that his intent was not to worship Jesus, but to destroy him. And so once they found the Christ child, they did not report back to Herod. I want you to think about the significance of that act right there. Herod was the physical king of the land. He held the wise men's life or death in his hand, and yet they defied a direct order by that human king in order to honor God. They recognized his lie. Can you recognize a lie? Has God ever given you discernment between what is healthy and what is destructive? Maybe you've recognized when your loved one was being cagier than normal and you wondered if he was using or, or drinking again. I know often as parents we know when our, when our child is hiding something, a hurt or a trauma or a habit, a harmful behavior. See, as we focus our lives on worshiping Jesus, we begin to more readily recognize 
the destructive patterns of the enemy. God gives us discernment, and he also gives us the strength to stand against those patterns. So God actually gave the wise men gifts, discernment and direction. Those are pretty amazing gifts that he gave them as they said yes to this journey. But I want to pause here and ask you, what journey are you on? What are you hoping to get from God as you explore what it is to worship him? What were you hoping for when you walked in the doors this morning? You know, I oversee our connections team out in the lobby and, and rooted, and I hear so many hopes voiced from people when they come here to North Church. I hope to just find some friends. I hope to find a small group that is safe, somewhere where I can grow. I've been so hurt in church before. Is this the place that I can heal? I hope so. I just need support. I need somebody to support me, to pray for me. I need clothes. I need food. I just need somebody to tell me that, that I'm loved. And those hopes are so beautiful as we voice them because God draws us forward through those hopes. But there is a point where our desire to give becomes greater than our desire to get. Where the reality of God's love is wrapped up in a gift of such magnitude that we can't begin to comprehend what it cost him and we can't wait to give him our love in return. And that point is when we discover the reality of our divine king. Look at what the wise men did when they came face to face with their divine king. Matthew 2.11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Remember, we said uh, worship is giving reverent honor to someone or something that you hold as sacred. They bow down and they worship Jesus as sacred, not just any king. Because think back. In this story, we've already read that the wise men encountered a king, a very human king, but there is nowhere in this passage that we read that they bowed down to Herod or even brought him gifts or honored him in any way. Yet these men, these were the Stephen Hawkings of their time without the wheelchair, but they bowed down to a child as king. Not just a human king, but a divine king. Not just a symbol or a stand-in, but God himself. And this is the discovery piece on our journey in worshiping Jesus. Discovering that he is not just some historical teacher. He is not just a prophet. He is not a guru, a shaman, or a human priest of old. He is God incarnate. Let me tell you what my Bible your Bible says about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He is the king of the Jews. He is the Lord, our righteousness, the bright morning star, God's son, the Christ, the word, the Messiah. He is our high priest. Jesus is the king of peace. He is our redeemer, the lamb of God. He is our bridge to heaven. Jesus is the son of man, the great I am. He is our rock our refuge. He is the light of the world. He is our bread of life, our teacher, our rescuer, our judge. He is the cornerstone of our faith. He is our provider, our bridegroom. Jesus Christ is our savior and Jesus is our king. Woo. Let me ask you, what resonates with you from that list? Because we can get emotional in a reading of a list like that, but what resonates with you because Jesus wants to be personally known by each one of us. He wants a personal relationship with us. And we move from worshiping Jesus. Our, our worship comes alive when we move from coming to get from him 
when, when we move to coming to give him, when we discover who he is personally. So let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? What resonates with you from that list? Is he your divine king? Because if he is not, if nothing in the list I just read strikes a chord in your spirit, then I want to suggest that it's time to say a new yes to Jesus. It's time to open your hands and give him what is there, to move from giving your worship in order to get something to giving your worship in order to live for your king. It's time to say a new yes to Jesus and open yourself up to your Savior. That's what the wise men did. Think about it. Guys who didn't know squat about who they were coming to see. And I believe they were changed. Their posture showed that they acknowledged who he was. This is the how in our worship. They bowed down and worshiped him. Their posture recognized him as divine king. Does ours? Are our hands raised and open to the ceiling when we sing in order to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are we trying to extract some God, God points for heaven here? Or maybe even worse, holiness points from the people around us. I'm not saying that singing praise songs with our hands raised is a requirement to worship Jesus. Don't get me wrong there, okay? But it is a good opportunity to do a quick heart check. Is our heart attitude submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is it bowed down before him as king? And if you can say yes to that, then what holds us back? What would stop us from acknowledging that fact by raising our hands as we sing to him or even kneeling before him as the wise men did? Their posture acknowledged who he was, and so did their gifts. Now, my son Reed is a sophomore in high school, and he told me all about how the wise men brought their gifts to baby Jesus. He said that they showed up at the house, and Jesus would have been about a toddler by now, and so they showed up at the house where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were, and the wise men came in the door, and the first two wise men stepped forward, and they knelt down before the baby Jesus. And they opened their treasures and gave him gold and frankincense. And then there was this awkward pause because it seemed like there should be more than that. And then the silence was broken as the third wise man stepped forth from the back and said, But wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> I'll do you, kid. I guarantee you're going to retell that sometime in the next week. Let's talk about gift giving in general, though, because you have a week left to finish your, your Christmas shopping, not to stress you out there. But giving gifts is about giving blessings, giving things unconditionally that will honor and bless the recipient, giving, things out of, or giving gifts out of obligation or guilt or without thought towards the recipient does not bless them. And I'll tell you, that's messed with my Christmas shopping this year. We give gifts because we love the person we're giving to, and so we want to show them how much we love them by blessing them with a gift. Well, the wise men did the same thing. They wanted to bless Jesus Christ, and so they gave him gifts of great value. You know, we're one week away from Christmas, and I want to point out here that we have the opportunity to do the same, not just to focus on the gifts that we're going to go buy at the shops, but to focus on the gifts that we can bring to Jesus to bless his heart. Because see, worshiping Jesus requires a yes from each of us. Yes, I will acknowledge him as, and worship him as Savior. Yes, I will worship him in my heart, my words, and even my posture. And yes, I will worship him with gifts of great value. 
The wise men opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him gold. Let's explore the gifts for just a minute. Gold was a gift fit for a king. It signified Jesus' authority as ruler, but it was a sustenance gift. It was a gift that they gave to sustain Jesus and his family throughout his childhood. Think about what gold represents in our economy. It represents wealth and power, and in many ways, authority as well. So a gift of our gold given to Jesus recognizes him as the authority in our lives. Him as the authority over our gold. Now, not many of us have a gold stash lying around, but we do have resources at our disposal. Every one of us in this room does. So let's think about what blesses the heart of Jesus. Well, in the, in the Bible, we read about giving to widows and orphans. North Church, you've done that this year. You've gone so far and above and beyond to give to the poor in Spokane. Thank you. Here's what else blesses the heart of Jesus concerning our gold. It's obedience to his word. And here's what his word says about our gold. Micah 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, I'm a, I'm a really black and white person. Hard for me to read in, in between the lines. But I, I read that, and I know that tithe means 10% of my income, and that 10% of my income should go to the church. I'm black and white. I'm all in. The last thing I want to do is rob God of what is already his. But I've been told that I have a very direct nature, and I've also been told that telling a congregation to dig deep and give until it hurts to get to your 10% is not the best way to inspire financial giving. So let me instead tell you what I've experienced with my life group this fall. We entered a Bible study this, this last fall um, that focused on stewarding our money biblically, focusing on what the Lord has to say about our money. And I'll tell you, we had more tears and more wrestling in this study than anything we've done so far, but we also had more joy. Because when you discover that it's not an obligatory thing, that it's not a finger-pointing thing when God asks us to tithe, that it's an incredible joy that he wants us to experience the blessing of recognizing him as the authority of all we have, that there is such freedom in that there's an incredible joy to be found. We had so much fun sharing stories. I know one of my friends... Um, started praying that God would give him opportunity to just give spontaneously. And, and he came back and he was so excited to share about paying for the groceries of the guy behind him in line. Another couple has never given to the church before. And, and so they put together all their debt and they started a plan to snowball down their debt. And they figured out that they could give 5% of their income to the church. But they're so excited and they talk about it that they can't wait until their debt is drawn down enough that they can give the full tithe. There was so much joy at each turn as my group discovered what the Lord has to say for them about their gold and as they opened their hands to what he wanted to do. We as a church have given so much to Spokane, but this is our church. This is our church, yours and mine. And so a sustenance gift given to sustain the work that God is doing in this church is no less important than giving to the poor. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to challenge, I'm not going to encourage, I'm not going to do all that. I'm going to flat out ask because I'm direct. Will you 
Look at the gold that God has put in your hands and consider giving a gift of sustenance this Christmas and the next week. The wise men also brought frankincense. Well, frankincense is actually a resin. It's extracted from a, a tree, and it was burnt as a, as a worship offering to God. And so when they brought it to Jesus, it signified his divinity, that he was God. So what's our yes here? A burnt offering? Interesting. Second <coughs> Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We can be that pleasing aroma to those around us, that pleasing aroma for Christ by giving a gift of self, by giving a gift of service, of our time, or our relationship. See, acts of kindness just because, shoveling our neighbor's driveway just because is an act of service. Reaching out to that lonely aunt or uncle who may be a little hard to deal with, but inviting them to Christmas dinner anyways, that's an act of relationship. Maybe for you, it's just telling Jesus, I'm content where I'm at. Continuing on, continuing on, and, and maybe a difficult assignment right now, caring for a special needs child or an elderly parent or, or a sibling struggling with, with addiction issues. Or maybe it's not doing anything. Maybe it's just being with your Savior, giving him your time. When was the last time that you took an entire day, a personal day, off of work, away from family, to be with your Savior, to be with Jesus, to pray, to read your Bible, to take a walk and just tell him how much you love him and how thankful you are for his creation and what he's given you in his life? You're allowed to do that, you know. We can give gifts of ourself as a fragrant aroma to Christ. It blesses him. But wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> myrrh is also a resin. It's obtained from a tree in Arabia, much like frankincense is. But the name denotes bitterness. It was used um, chiefly in embalming uh, the dead because it could preserve their bodies from decay. And it was really symbolic when you consider who the <laughs> wise men were bringing it to. They brought myrrh as a gift to the one who just 33 years later would give his life on the cross to pay the penalty for the wise men's sin. Myrrh represents Jesus dying for us. And so if we were to take our cue from the wise men in this, in this gift, it would require us to die to ourselves in some way, to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. We can give gifts of submission to bless the heart of Jesus. I was thinking about what story or example I might share with you, and I had one that kept coming up over and over and over, and it was three years ago, Christmas. It was actually the day after Christmas, December 26th, and I was up uh, doing my quiet time in our living room and uh, about 6 a.m., and my dad joined me. Nobody else was up. It was just the two of us. And when he walked in and sat down, they had been visiting for Christmas, he walked in, sat down, and I knew that I knew that something big was going to transpire. And uh, so I just asked him what was on my heart. I said, Dad, you seem really troubled seems like you have no peace. And he said, you're right, I have zero peace. I cannot get my emotions under control. I cry at the drop of a hat. I don't, I don't know where to even find any peace. I got to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with my dad that morning. And it was the first time in my life that he listened. And he was attentive. And I got to share with him that peace comes from relationship with Jesus Christ, comes from the Prince of Peace, 
And we talked for a while, and I shared some scripture, and then I got to pray with my dad as he accepted the Lord. And I'll tell you, it was a, it was a prayer that was 19 years in the making. Because Larry, right under your feet over there on this sanctuary floor, there was a prayer written asking the dad to help my dad cross that line of faith. And God answered that <laughs> prayer as my dad opened himself up and submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. 69 years old, incredibly capable, intelligent, independent, and he said, I am not God, you are. And he opened his life to the Lord. And I'll tell you, he's changed. We talked just the other day, and he knows that peace that he was looking for. He knows that he knows that God can get him through anything. And he is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you give a gift of submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Acknowledge that you are not God, but Jesus Christ is, and receive him as your Savior. If you have never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But for those of us who do know him as Savior, will you give a gift of dying to yourself in some way? Maybe that means forgiving that person who hurt you this next week. Committing to forgive them, no matter how hard it is, and release them from your anger. Maybe it's, it's committing to submit to Jesus where you've been bitter, where you've been bitter about your circumstances or the people he's asking you to love. Dying to yourself and submitting to him as Lord and Savior. Will you say yes to a gift of submission to Jesus Christ? We have just one week left before Christmas. Please don't miss this opportunity. Bless the heart of Jesus with a gift of great value. We're going to pray, but this might be a little different prayer for you. Because see, I believe in our hearts we each have a yes to say this Christmas. A yes that goes beyond the slippers that we're going to go out and buy for our mom later. A yes that is about giving a gift to bless the heart of Jesus. So I we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to acknowledge what the Lord has laid on your heart and the gift that you will give, and commit to give that gift to Jesus in the next week. So let's go ahead and pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we acknowledge that you, you are God. We are so thankful that you came to rescue us from our sin. We are so thankful that Lord, that you inspired the wise men to take this incredible journey and to set the example for us and the gifts that we can bring you. And so in our hearts, each one of us has a gift that's kind of pounding there. Lord, would you give us courage to acknowledge that and to commit to saying yes to giving these gifts? So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask if you are willing, if he is knocking on the door of your heart, to give a gift of sustenance, a gift of your gold, Will you raise your hand right where you are? We are not taking notes. We will not come knock, knock on your door. This is between you and Jesus alone. If you are willing to give a gift of sustenance, hands all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Pray that you would accept these gifts. Lord, we are your people. You created us relational. And there are things that you've laid on our heart to give of ourselves. So with all heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to ask if, if God is laying on your heart to give of yourself in an act of time, of relationship, or of service, will you raise your hand and acknowledge that to him? 
saying, yes, Jesus, I will give of myself this week to bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these hands raised. And finally, a gift of submission. I want to speak to those in the room who are here who have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your heart's pounding if, if that's you. And today is the day to make your, or to say your yes. <coughs> so if you want to give yourself, submit your life to Jesus Christ, I want to just ask that right where you're at, quietly in your seat, that you just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I love you. I thank you that you came to this earth as a baby. You were born, you lived, and then you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin that I may have a place in heaven with the Lord, with you, that I may have eternal life. Jesus, I commit to follow you. I commit my life to you, and I submit to you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. If you said that prayer for the first time, with all our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask that you would acknowledge that by raising your hand. I just want to agree with you in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We ask that over this next week that you just open our eyes to the opportunities we have to give you gifts of great value, and we bless your name. Jesus. Amen.